I think the interference, although not yet quantified, if fully investigated, would show that Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. What? What does he know? He's just a former president. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. One of the not crazy ones. I got ones. the feeling that something right. Who's overseeing elections I'm so across the world. I fall off my chair. But what does he know? And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, way out in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. On Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. Up in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950 KTNF. Meanwhile, we're also streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, An all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We've actually got, believe it or not, some good news just breaking. Now, uh, unlike, uh, let's say, Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC, I'm not going to tell you... Tune in at the end of this hour for that good news. No, yeah. no, we're not going to hold back on the good news not, right, well, right now. No, actually not right now. It's okay. going to come up shortly, but you don't have to wait till the end of the show. It will be in this block. Uh, I want to start here. Yes, there will be tanks at Donald Trump's 4th of July event, but there is a catch, reports CNN. Well... Tanks for the memories, Mr. Trump. But uh, here's an example of some very poor writing at CNN from a story on on Trump's plans to have these tanks at the Fourth of July celebration that he's throwing for himself at the Lincoln Memorial on uh, on Thursday, I guess it is Uh, from this story. Quote, Trump later confirmed tanks would be present during remarks in the Oval Office. Oh, dear. (laughs) I don't think they'll fit. Well, yeah, not yet. This this, uh, takeover of this country, maybe it's gotten worse than we think, Des. So, yeah, let that one sink in. Uh, Bad writing, CNN. That's okay. Anyway, yeah, he's going to have tanks and planes at uh, taxpayer expense for his party, though the catch is that the tanks won't be in the parade, as Trump had been wanting for years because they would crush the pavement on the streets. And after all, we've got global warming for that. But wait, I'm getting ahead of myself there. (laughs) So these tanks apparently will just be parked somewhere conspicuously, I guess. 
Frankly, I hope you will be doing something much more fun and interesting on the 4th of July this year than being enraged by our trollish, dangerous fool of a president. Uh, I also hope that, uh, and it's incredible, I even have to bring this up for what has always been a nonpartisan 4th of July celebration in the nation's capital, for Christ's sake. But I really hope the event stays peaceful. And I know that uh, there are some folks from Code Pink that are planning to be there to protest Trump, presumably uh, trying to convert a celebration of our nation's birthday into a celebration of him. And folks are very worked up on all sides this year for some odd reason. So I hope that the, you know, the sort of violent brown shirts who tend to come out in support of Trump don't end up sparking some violence at a 4th of July celebration for crying out loud. But that is the very dangerous moment that we find ourselves in right now under this under this president, sadly. So do be careful out there, wherever you may be for the uh, holiday weekend, especially with heat waves that are already breaking records. And yes, as I indicated there, roads around the country. CNN reports with slightly better prose this time that it is so hot that mussels are cooking in their shells and highways are buckling. Seriously, mussels are frying to death along the shores of Northern California, CNN is reporting today. Jackie Sonis, a research coordinator at Bodega Marine, uh, Marine Reserve, has worked at Bodega Bay for 15 years and says she has never seen a site like this before. She told CNN yesterday, when I was approaching the field site, I could see right away that hundreds of mussels were dead. As she conducted more surveys, she discovered it was not just hundreds of mussels, but tens of thousands of mussels dead along the shore. Sonas has seen similar cases before where small patches of mussels die off due to the heat, but she's never witnessed something this extensive. When mussels are alive and healthy, their shells remain pressed together, but when a mussel dies, the shells open up, exposing the internal tissue or an empty shell. This after California experienced a record-breaking heat wave in June with temperatures in the north end of the state reaching triple Digits. Yes, San Francisco hit 100 degrees for only the fifth time in its multi-century history. Now, uh, triple digits aren't unheard of at all down here in the south end of the state, in Southern California, but up north? Yeesh, uh, that's not good. And no, and there's not a lot of air conditioning up there because in the 20th century, they didn't really need it. But with climate change, guess what? Well, we're not in the 20th century anymore, are we? No, we are not. Uh, and it is now apparently cooking mussels in their shells now. Sounds, hey, sounds it's delicious. only the food supply. Yeah, You'd you think go. somebody might want to care about that. But it is not only in California, of course. In South Dakota, concrete roads buckled because of high temperatures over the weekend as the heat index rose to 170 degrees in Vermilion, South Dakota. The state highway patrol uh, warned drivers of two cases of cracking concrete along Interstate 29. Excessive heat causes concrete to, to expand. If the heat is too high, the concrete expands too much. And that creates the buckle, as CNN calls it. But describing it as a buckle does not really do it justice. The South Dakota Highway Patrol posted some photos on its Twitter feed, and the road is 
essentially broken in two straight across so that the sharp edge of a concrete slab has suddenly risen about, I don't know, six or eight inches. Did you see those photos? I did not see those photos, but that's enough to crash any car. Or yeah, exactly. any, any vehicle. Oh, really. yeah. If you hit that uh, that buckle, as at they call it, at s- highway at any, speeds. At any speed, really. Yeah, it's you're going to break an axle at the very least. So the roads were out of commission for hours while uh, crews repaired it, according to the Highway Patrol, underscoring Desi Doyen, what you have repeatedly warned about in your Green News report, that our infrastructure, the regular old stuff, just the regular old infrastructure that we rely on and that we take for granted, is simply not ready for the worsening effects of our climate crisis. Of course, this Record heat is not just slamming parts of the U.S. We'll have some we'll have more on some crazy weather in Mexico and Europe in our latest Green News report coming up a little bit later today, though it is uh, mostly devoted to our special coverage of climate issues raised during the uh, last week's first 2020 Democratic presidential debate in Miami. And it's a good thing they held the first debate in Miami, since who knows how much longer Miami will be above water at this point. Am I overstating things a little bit, Des? Sadly, you are not. Oh, I was hoping I was. No. Speaking of that debate, our own two-day special coverage of it on the broadcast means that, well, we're still trying to catch up with a bunch of important stuff we weren't able to get to but that you should know about. So we'll continue to play catch up today, along with the continuing avalanche of new stuff rolling in as the Trump era continues to seemingly darken with each new day right now. Although, as I said, some good and brighter news that I'm still not getting to. <laughs> there are some rays of hope that we uh, we seem to be able to find each day. Uh, today, Congress pushed ahead in their attempts to acquire Trump's tax returns, which he is unlawfully preventing Congress from examining. As required by statute, the U.S. House and House Ways and Means Committee sued the Trump administration in federal court on Tuesday for access to Trump's tax returns. The committee said it needs the documents for an investigation into tax law compliance by the president, among other things. It asked the court to order the administration to turn over those documents. It's the culmination of this uh, long fight between Democrats and Trump over his returns, dating back to 2016, when Trump had falsely claimed, as he still does, that he could not release them due to an IRS audit. Remember that? He still lies about that. He still claims that these documents are still under audit going back, I guess, six years because that's what they're requesting. So I guess they're still auditing Trump's returns from six years ago. Really, Mr. President? The uh, committee originally demanded six years of his uh, records in uh, early April under a law, a law. Remember those? That says the IRS, quote, shall furnish the returns of any taxpayer to a handful of top lawmakers. But Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin told the committee in May he would not be turning over the returns to the Democratic controlled House because this is a dangerously lawless administration who doesn't give a damn about the rule of law. Mnuchin concluded that the Treasury Department is, quote, not authorized to disclose the requested returns and return information. That is, of course, false. 
the similarly lawless Justice Department in a phony legal opinion uh, by one of the same George W. Bush guys who found a legal justification for things like torture. Uh, he backed Mnuchin's position. They backed Mnuchin's position, saying the request lacked a legitimate legislative purpose and falsely charged that the request was unprecedented in its use of congressional authority. The argument is the same one that Trump has used in refusing other demands from Congress for financial records from accountants and banks that Trump and his family have done business with. Lawsuits over those records were filed also in federal courts in Washington and New York, and Trump has lost in every single one of those lawsuits, at least in the opening rounds of them. In the suit filed on Tuesday, the committee said the administration has refused to turn over the documents, quote, in order to shield President Trump's tax return information from congressional scrutiny. The committee said it's not required by law to explain to the Treasury Department its reasons for seeking the tax returns, but that in this case the committee's need is evident. That's right. There is no. They don't have to give a reason. Read the law here. It's very clear. The IRS shall furnish these returns when requested by the appropriate member of Congress. The president has declined to follow the practice of every elected president since Richard Nixon of voluntarily disclosing their tax returns. The lawsuit notes it's unclear how long it will take to resolve the suit. However, fights between Congress and the executive branch can in some cases take years. But if, as the committee suggests, the fight comes down to the, just the text of what the law requires, then a resolution could come more quickly, though it could then be appealed. I would say it will almost definitely oh, yeah. be appealed. If they've held off this long, they're not going to they're not going to pull. They're going to pull out all the stuff. Well, that's I mean, it's going to keep going, I suspect, until it gets to Donald Trump's stolen Supreme Court where he thinks he can win, which he might be able to, though even Chief Justice John Roberts would not go along with the administration's BS claims about why they needed to add a question on citizenship to the census, at least not in his decision. As we discussed yesterday, the Supreme Court left the door open for a better lie from the administration on that matter. But on that score, now we get to the good news that just broke minutes ago. Apparently, the administration was unable to come up with a better lie. So uh, this just in via Twitter over the last uh, hour before we go to air, though I see it's uh, now being also reported by uh, CNN and AP and others. But originally from Daniel Jacobson, who's a, a former Obama White House counsel, he posted the uh, confirmation email here on Twitter saying um, <clears throat> in which he tweeted huge census news. The government just advised that the decision has been made to print the census questionnaire without the citizenship question. We won, he adds. Uh, we, I guess, meaning those of us who don't want to see the uh, response rate dropped by millions in largely Hispanic and other immigrant areas so that federal funding and... Um, the power, voting power, etc., can be moved from those areas to white Republican areas, as had been the plan. That's the reason why they, the real reason why this question, why the Trump administration wanted to add this question. Uh, 
Now, apparently, that won't happen. Jacobson includes a, an email from, uh, from the Department of Justice, from a trial attorney in the uh, Department of Justice Civil Division, saying, uh, notifying him, counsel, we can confirm that the decision has been made to print the 2020 decennial census questionnaire without a citizenship question and that the printer has been instructed to begin the printing process. Best K. Bailey trial attorney, U.S. Department of Justice. This is very, very good news and frankly, a very good victory for for the good guys for a change. Mark Joseph Stern, who's been uh, joining us uh, with much frequency over the past two or three weeks as the Supreme Court has been coming out with their rulings. Uh, he tweeted to say that this is, quote, an incredible victory for voting rights. The Trump administration's effort to entrench Republican power for a decade by rigging the census has officially failed. And if you hear it from Mark Joseph Stern of Slate, you know it's true. <laughs> I would only add one thing to that. I would say the Trump administration's racist attempt to add a citizenship. You always have to play the race card, don't you, Desi Doyne? You always got to bring absolutely. So anyway, there's your very good news. Uh, the somewhat good news on challenging Trump's uh, tax returns. We'll see how that turns out. Steve Rosenthal, a senior uh, fellow at the nonpartisan Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center, told AP on this that the uh, committee who filed the suit is on strong legal footing here with the lawsuit because, quote, it is entitled to oversee and investigate the executive branch, which is a key element of our checks and balances, he says. Well, right now, the most key element of our checks and balances seems to be the court system, at least the federal courts that uh, serve below the stolen U.S. Supreme Court. On that score, the court's uh, blocked Trump again on Friday night in a ruling that got a bit lost between uh, all of the debates over the weekend. Trump's meeting with North Korean dictator Kim Jong Un. Oh, and you mean this photo else. opportunity? Sorry, yes. Once again, you're just so I'm being, bitter, so I, cynical. Cynical. So Did you see that? I. Anyway. Yes. Uh, but so here's a good another yet another good news stories from from the courts. Uh, if you hadn't heard and this got shockingly little coverage, either that or I just looking in the wrong places. The um, the Trump administration cannot access two point five billion dollars in military funding to construct portions of a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. The U.S. District Court for Northern California ruled late on Friday. In the first of two lawsuits that he dealt with, Judge Haywood S. Gilliam Jr. ruled that Donald Trump's Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security, and Department of Treasury may not, quote, construct a border barrier, unquote, along El Paso, Texas, Yuma, Arizona, and El Centro, California sectors of the boundary, quote, using funds reprogrammed by the Department of Defense. That suit was brought by the Sierra Club and the Southern Border Communities Coalition, or SBCC. That was one of the suits saying, no, 
the administration may not use those funds from the Department of Defense to build his wall. And in the other suit brought by the states of California and New Mexico, the judge concluded that the administration's attempt to use military funds for a border barrier construction in El Paso and El Centro, quote, is unlawful. Judge Gilliam's rulings were hailed by the plaintiffs. Dror Layden, staff attorney with ACLU's National Security Project, who argued the case for the Sierra Club and SBCC, said in a statement late on Friday, quote, Congress was clear in denying funds for Trump's xenophobic obsession with a wasteful, harmful wall. This decision, he said, upholds the basic principle that the president has no power to spend taxpayer money without Congress's approval. For his part, California Attorney General Javier Becerra, who led the uh, suit filed by the state, said in a statement, quote, these rulings critically stop President Trump's illegal money grab to divert two and a half billion dollars of unauthorized funding for his pet project. All President Trump has succeeded in building is a constitutional crisis, said Becerra, threatening immediate harm to our state. President Trump said he didn't have to do this and that he would be unsuccessful in court. Today, we proved that statement true. The judge certified uh, both cases for appeal, however, meaning that the Trump administration can go to a higher court at this point, which, of course, they will until he can get to his stolen Supreme Court. Um, Though, you know, that same court, try as they might, did not give him the census ruling that he almost certainly expected. And without the uh, Supreme Court in his pocket, the administration folded today on on that point, on the census. But very good news from the courts now concerning this uh, this wall and this fake national emergency that Donald Trump declared back in February uh, that he shut down the government for back in January and uh, that would require taking money from the Pentagon's budget to build this wall. Trump made that move after Congress had declined, specifically declined to approve the billions that were demanded by the president. Federal government was partially shut down for a record 35 days because of it over that demand. And the emergency declaration set up a battle for power of the purse between the White House and Congress. And so far, Congress is winning that one. On Friday, Judge Gilliam ruled in both cases that the government did not prove that the Pentagon money was needed, quote, for unseen military requirements, as the White House had tried to lie, Uh, all of which does what so many of the stories we seem to cover here of late uh, do, which is to underscore the need for removing this president from office, whether it's by impeachment or if, uh, you know, in, in the event that the Democrats can get their act together or by election. I guess also if the Democrats can get their act together. And in any event, on that score, there's been a bit of news in recent days that also could use a bit more attention when it comes to elections or in the broadcast in the case of the broadcast here uh, could use any attention at all. So election news or if you prefer news on the continuing Republican bastardization of U.S. elections, which gets worse seemingly every day. Because Republicans apparently can no longer win 
in an actual one-person, one-vote fair fight at the voting booth. That news is straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Sunshine Day. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. I don't know, Des, maybe we need to find some new sunshine, some new Florida songs for the Sunshine State. That's oh, what this is for. Oh, I say. Well, so do we know, have any other Florida uh, songs? I Miami don't. Sound Machine, maybe. Ah. Uh, that's, uh, if that counts. What's the matter with the Brady Bunch? Uh, nothing. You're absolutely right. Nothing is the matter with the Brady Bunch. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, uh, yes, we head down to the uh, Sunshine State where uh, the news is not so sunny. Government, government, Governor Ron DeSantis, Republican governor who was just elected by barely more, let's see, barely under half a percentage point last November, He signed into law on Friday evening a controversial bill limiting how many former felons will be able to vote, undercutting much of the promise of last year's historic Amendment 4. That was the statewide ballot initiatives, which an extraordinary nearly 65 percent of voters approved across the state last November. That measure received more votes than any candidate on the statewide ballot, including the governor who just signed a law that guts the landmark state constitutional amendment that 65 percent of voters approved last November. That is how much Republicans hate democracy. DeSantis uh, was so proud of this new bill that he personally asked the state's GOP legislature to pass it, but announced its signing in a news release after the close of business before a weekend, one day short of his deadline to sign the bill. I'm sure that if he could have waited until the 4th of July holiday to sign it so even fewer Floridians might have noticed it, that he would have. The ACLU and other groups immediately filed a lawsuit within minutes to block the new law, arguing on behalf of several former felons who were able to register to vote, but have now been ruled ineligible under the legislature's bill. They were able to vote after the measure passed in November and then it uh, took force in January. These folks went out and registered to vote. Now they're being told, oh, sorry, psych. You can't vote anymore. Uh, Micah Kubik, executive director of the ACLU of Florida, who I believe we've had on this show, said it is, quote, not it is not constitutional. It is not legal and it is not right to deny people the right to vote because you can't pay. What this bill does, he says, is reestablish a poll tax, according to the Tampa Bay Times. The bill 
which was passed last month by uh, by Florida's Republican-controlled legislature, requires all—actually, it was passed in, in May. This story came out on Friday. Uh, it it, uh, it, 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 it requires all former felons to pay off court fees, fines and restitution before they would then become eligible to vote. Those obligations are expected to disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of former felons who can't immediately afford to pay them. Now, this is not a surprise for many of them who have spent years in jail, unable to actually make money. It is, however, great news for felons who happen to come from wealthy families, because if you have money, you can vote in Florida, just like a poll tax. As Ion Sancho, the 30-year former supervisor of elections in Leon County, home of Tallahassee, the state's capital, uh, told me on this program several weeks ago after the bill was passed by lawmakers, he said, quote, Jim Crow has been reestablished in Florida. The bill is a blow to supporters of Amendment 4, which was supposed to wipe out one of the most racist and enduring policies of Florida's Jim Crow era. And I should note, that's not Desi Doyen writing there. That is the Tampa Bay Times <laughs> playing the race card. This is a uh, racist uh, lifetime ban that former felons faced in the state of Florida. Nearly two-thirds of voters last year approved the historic amendment that was passed in order to restore voting rights to about one and a half million Floridians. Well, we can't have that. The 150-year-old law that had prevented felons from voting was created in the wake of the Civil War after Florida was forced to grant voting rights to former slaves. So what did they do back then? Well, they took to the legislature and they came up with some phony reason to pass a law to keep those people from voting. And now, 150 years later, guess what they did? The exact same thing. This was the, the law back then was specifically meant to keep black people off the voter rolls, just as this one is. It worked 150 years ago, this lifetime ban on voting in Florida for former felons. It worked. By 2016, more than one in five black Floridians was un, uh, ineligible to vote because they were former felons. Supporters of the amendment argued that the language was simple enough. This is the amendment that passed in November and that the legislature did not need to clarify it further, as they claimed to be doing with this bill. As I said, it kicked in on January 1. Former felons have been registering to vote ever since. Up until apparently now, one woman told lawmakers during the legislative session as they were considering this measure that she owes fifty nine million dollars in restitution and she will never be able to repay it. Well, bad luck for her. She'll never be able to vote again either. Moreover, as uh, Sancho told us on this program, elections officials and the state itself right now have no way of knowing who actually owes what when it uh, when they come in to, to register to vote. So he told me it's now going to cost millions of dollars for the state to create some kind of database to track all of this. It's now also going to cost taxpayer money for that and uh, potentially millions to defend against the lawsuits that are being filed against the state which uh, voting rights advocates uh, seem confident that they will win. 
And that's just one of the reasons why I, uh, you know, flinch anytime I hear Republicans referred to as conservative, fiscal conservative. They are not fiscal conservative if they're willing to waste millions and millions of dollars uh, in order to uh, defend lawsuits, which they will most likely lose. And they are certainly not conservatives in the real sense of the word, if they are willing to undermine democracy by keeping millions of voters from being able to participate in their own democracy. The new law, uh, which now once again restricts the right to vote in Florida, was signed quietly by the state's new governor, who, uh, as I said, reportedly won on last reportedly won by less than one half of one percent of the vote. It went into effect uh, Monday of this week. But I remember a day when, you know, I was called a crazy conspiracy theorist and a sore loser for pointing out stuff like this. If so, I guess we have to add former President Jimmy Carter now to the list of crazy conspiracy theorists and sore losers. Despite his heroic work around the globe monitoring elections in some of the most dangerous places, dangerous countries in the world and the worst democracies in the world, which, by the way, the U.S. now certainly is. It's not dangerous yet, yet, but it is a terrible democracy, at least, and don't take my word for it. Uh, the folks at the Electoral Integrity Project, which is run by Harvard University and the University of Sydney in Australia, which looks at world democracies and ranks them uh, along a bunch of criteria as far as integrity of elections, fairness, com competition, and so forth. They continue to rank the U.S. among the bottom of Western democracies for election integrity. And that was before the Supreme Court decided that partisan gerrymandering was perfectly fine. And before Ron DeSantis undercut the will of 65% of Florida's voters with his new law over the weekend. But anyway, back to uh, Carter. You may have already seen this, but I think it's worth uh, making sure here. Farm, former President Jimmy Carter said Friday during an interview on C-SPAN that he believes Donald Trump only won the 2016 election because Russia interfered to help him defeat the uh, Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton. When asked by uh, moderator and historian John Meacham if he believed that Trump was then an illegitimate president, Carter said, well, yes, here's what that sounded like. Russia has been proven by our intelligence community to have interfered with one of our human rights, which is the right of free and fair elections. Yeah. What's your reaction? How, how should we deal with Russia? Well, the president himself should condemn it, admit that it happened, which I think 16 of intelligence agencies have already agreed to, do, to say. And uh, there's no doubt that the Russians did interfere in the election. And I think the interference, although not yet quantified, uh, if fully investigated, would show that Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election, and he was put into office because the Russians interfered on his behalf. So do you believe President Trump is an illegitimate president? Based on what I just said, which I can't retract. <laughs> and you couldn't hear it at the end there, but he says, yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I do. Just flat out says it. 
A former president uh, whose Carter Center has spent decades as uh, election observers in countries all over the world, including many third world countries, describing the sitting president as illegitimate. Well, welcome to the USA uh, circa 2019, I guess. Uh, Amazing. But of course, since we uh, were not allowed to count the ballots or examine the voting systems afterwards in 2016, it's little surprise that some would question the results of the election, now including a former president. And of course, it's that loss in confidence in elections that I have been warning about for so many years as a serious threat to American democracy. And by the way, that is true whether or not Russia or anybody else did or didn't meddle in our elections. The fact that we don't know that we can't know due to the unoverseeable voting and tabulation systems that we use, due to the laws in place in states like Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, uh, which gave the uh, election to, uh, to, to Trump, those laws which were used to prevent the public from actually counting the ballots after the 2016 election, actually examining, examining the voting systems and the tabulators, This is exactly what I have long, long warned about happening. Not knowing. Again, even if Russia had absolutely nothing to do uh, with with the results, and we don't know either way, but even if they had nothing to do, even if the, the computers were perfect and accurate, if we can't know that they were perfect and accurate... This is how democracy slowly dies. And the faith, you know, whenever we open up our, our, our phone lines here and we, we hear from people say, oh, voting doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I don't have trust in the I don't have confidence in the system anymore. Um, they may they, that may be for good reason. Uh, it may not be for good reason, but it doesn't matter. They've stopped voting because of the loss of confidence in the system. And I don't want to use the word trust because we should never have to trust in our elections. We should always be able to oversee our elections in order to gain confidence in the reported results. But we continue to be blocked from doing that and we continue to make the case worse. Mark it down. Los Angeles, 2020. I hope to God I'm wrong, but I suspect we're going to have a mess after these uh, new 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems are brought into my county here, the uh, largest uh, voting jurisdiction in the nation, where the uh, county clerk, uh, Dean Logan, uh, won't even come on the show anymore. He used to. He won't even come on the show anymore uh, to talk about this new system and to answer my questions. So, in any event, uh, Carter, uh, Jimmy Carter was participating in a discussion on human rights uh, at the Carter Center. He said on Friday that Trump should, quote, condemn Russian interference and, quote, admit that it happened. Those remarks came hours after Trump had met with Russian President Vladimir Putin on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Osaka, Japan. Ahead of the meeting, journalists asked Trump if he would warn Russia not to meddle in future U.S. elections. And then Trump made a joke about it, pointing to Putin and smiling, saying, yes, of course I will. Don't meddle in elections, please. Don't meddle in elections, which is hilarious. 
Of course, uh, as we have uh, long tried to note here, it does not take a nation state like Russia or any other to meddle in our U.S. elections. You can do it from your very own couch if you like. And of course, it's really easy even easier uh, for election insiders uh, like election officials, elections contractors who work on these systems and even, yes, campaign officials. It's easy for them to mess with elections. Not that Republicans, what with their love for the rule of law and democracy and all, would ever meddle in our elections or anything. Am I right, North Carolina, where you are still waiting to hold the November 2018 U.S. House election do-over? This coming September, thanks to the massive insider GOP absentee ballot fraud in the 9th Congressional District last November, am I right? Well, you can bet your bottom dollar things are going to get uh, worse, much worse in the 2020 elections, I'm sorry to have to say here. And we are beginning to get a glimpse of that already. The most popular website for former vice president and 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden takes a page out of the art of deception, according to The New York Times over the weekend. Although Joe Biden dot info appears to look like the former vice president's official campaign page at first glance, it in fact mocks the candidate with cringeworthy gifs of Biden touching women and quotes of some of his famous verbal gaffes. Buried in fine print at the bottom of the page, if you look way, way down there, there's a note saying that the site is, quote, political commentary and parody and a project by an American citizen for American citizens. But who exactly uh, is that American citizen? Well, the Times reports that his name is Patrick Malden and that he produced digital content for Donald Trump's reelection campaign. With his uh, brother Ryan, Malden also runs the Austin-based Republican political consulting firm uh, whose website contains the line, We Kick, followed by the image of a donkey. Get it? You get it? Mm -hmm. Get what they're doing there? JoeBiden.info was intended to help Democrats, quote, face facts. Malden told the uh, New York Times, he said he left his name off of it because, quote, people tend to dismiss things that they don't like, especially if it comes from the opposite side. So that's why he kept it a secret. So they wouldn't dismiss this important information. From when Malden first began promoting the website uh, in mid-March through the end of May, the site had more than 390,000 unique visitors. According to data compiled by web traffic analysis, Biden's official campaign website had an estimate of 310,000 unique visitors. So more people have seen the fake website about uh, Joe Biden than have seen his actual campaign website. Malden claimed the website wasn't done for the Trump campaign and that he built and paid for it on its own. Oh, did, I'm sure did, he did. did yeah. Uh, the uh, campaign. He, just because he said so. I mean, gosh, yeah, why would you believe that? He was that? in it for fun. It was a weekend project. It was just for fun. It had nothing to do with his work for the Trump campaign as their digital uh, dude, whatever they call whatever he calls himself. Their GOP, their paid GOP operatives. This is just what they do for fun in their spare time. Right. 
Uh, however, with the campaign knowing about the websites and doing nothing about them, suspicions have been raised that the president's re-election campaign condones a disinformation operation run by one of its own. Well, of course it does. He is not doing this just for fun. They absolutely know the campaign knows that he is doing this and Democrats better wake the hell up to this sort of thing. I mean, I was shocked, frankly, in 2016 that they just did not seem to have any clue what was coming at them or how to respond to any of it. And frankly, I don't think that they are any better uh, prepared to do so in 2020 than they were in 2016. These guys play hardball. Democrats play nice. Uh, although he did not uh, directly address the issue, uh, the uh, campaign communication, Trump's campaign communication director, Tim Murtaugh, told The New York Times that it was, quote, great, the talented supporters of President Trump use their time to help his reelection, unquote. We appreciate their efforts in their own time with parodies like this that help the cause, said Murtaugh. According to two people familiar with the operation, 30-year-old Malden is seen as a, quote, rising star inside the campaign. Well, I bet he is now. And, of course, while some of you Biden opponents out there may be delighted to hear about this, you don't like Biden, you got somebody else you prefer, you want to see Biden brought down, well, that's fine. But please beware, Malden has apparently also set up sites anonymously for three other Democratic candidates. Millionaire Bernie is aimed at portraying uh, Bernie Sanders as a greedy socialist. Elizabeth Warren for chief mocks her Native American ancestry claim. And Kamala Harris for arresting the people targets her time as California's top prosecutor. So I don't know whether uh, Democrats have plans to deal with this, if they think this is going to go away, if they think somehow uh, Facebook or Twitter is going to handle this and uh, uh, keep disinformation off of social media, I think they better think again uh, because this is going to be, and like I said, I was, it was stunned back in 2016 that, you know, Democrats seem to have no plans for this. They were, I remember proudly years ago said, that, oh, well, we do better on the Internet. We're, we're better at getting out our message to people via websites and email and then along came the social media, and it's as if they had no clue what could be done with social media. They still have no clue. They think, by the way, if they tell Donald Trump, hey, Donald, uh, tell Vladimir Putin to not mess with our elections, that somehow, even if Russia did not mess with our elections in some way, do they think that people inside Trump's own campaign are going to stop messing with our elections? Do they think that uh, supporters of Donald Trump's are going to stop messing with our elections over the Internet? Democrats are going to have a lot to figure out here. Um, and I, you know, because they are not playing with uh, folks who, who play clean. I think we mentioned it yesterday, the idea that they like to bring a knife at best to a gunfight. Uh, and I think they'll be doing that again this year when it comes to uh, our elections. So uh, pay attention, people. Pay attention when disinformation is put out there. I got a lot of disinformation uh, from folks yesterday when I had mentioned the fact that um, 
you know, heard from some callers saying, well, the DNC is is forcing us to to vote for Biden and so forth. Uh, No, the DNC is not doing that. They might. I don't know. Down the road, if there's evidence for that, great. I asked people to send me what they had and what they ended up sending me was information about last year's election, not from the DNC, but from the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, which is not the DNC, which is open about the fact that it supports certain usually uh, corporatist candidates uh, running for elections uh, over more progressive candidates. Uh, they sent me information about that, but nothing about the DNC supporting Biden, etc. Um, so just, you know, don't be fooled. There's a lot of people out there who want you to believe certain things. If you don't see it for yourself on a legitimate uh, news site, just be skeptical. Yes. Yeah, so just remember, Republicans and those who would like to spread propaganda throughout the United States, they're upping their game for 2020. That means that anyone who is a news consumer must also up their game. You have to be careful about what you read. You have to make sure you find some legitimate sources behind it. Make sure it's verified before you spread it. Before you spread it. The plan is to turn Democrats and progressives against each other. Don't fall for it. Run for it. You know, I had some polling I wanted to get to here. Uh, Kamala Harris is leapfrogging into second place uh, just above Elizabeth Warren. Bernie Sanders is losing some uh, some speed since the first debate. That's all going to change with the next debate. We'll talk about it maybe on our next broadcast, but they are trying to turn Democrats against each other. Don't fall for it. Support the candidates you like. I don't think there's any need uh, to attack and or distrust uh, the candidates that you don't. If there is, fine, we'll look at it. But for now, don't fall for it. All right, quick break, and we are back. Speaking of the presidential debate, uh, we'll be back with Desi Doyen and special coverage in our Green News report of last week's presidential debate down in Miami. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks. You know, Desi Doyen, no guest today, and yet I'm still running late. I know, it's hard. Isn't that just like me? Yes. (laughs) All right, uh, who asked you? All right, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. We're here in Miami, which is already experiencing serious flooding on sunny days as a result of sea level rise. Climate change finally gets some airtime in the first 2020 Democratic presidential primary debates. Green News report special coverage straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Does your plan save Miami? That is the biggest softball a presidential candidate can hope for. I don't care what anyone says. I believe the people of this great city should not drown. (laughs) This is your 
Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, before we get to your debate coverage, some pretty crazy, insane weather around the globe, including, if I'm right about this, five feet of hail in a Mexican city on Monday? Yes, it was pretty, pretty dramatic. And that's not all. France broke its all-time high temperature record, 115 degrees Fahrenheit, shattered the previous record by three degrees. Other temperature records fell in Germany and Switzerland and Italy. It's hot out there. Well, as usual, nothing to worry about. The Democrats have it all covered, apparently, according to their first presidential debate of the 2020 presidential season. Yes, it was good timing for man-made climate change to finally get some airtime in a presidential debate. Some, not much. No, it only got about 15 minutes total over those two nights at the debates in Miami, so viewers didn't really get any details on how the candidates proposed to address one of the most consequential and complex issues that all future presidents will face. All of the candidates accept the science of climate change and the necessity of climate action but their plans do differ on specifics, speed, and scope. All would rejoin the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement, from which President Trump plans to withdraw. Some used climate change to attack Trump. Here's California Senator Kamala Harris. I don't even call it climate change. It's a climate crisis. It represents an existential threat to us as a species. And the fact that we have a president of the United States who has embraced science fiction over science fact will be to our collective peril. And here's Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. What the president of the United States should do is not deny the reality of climate change, but tell the rest of the world that instead of spending a trillion and a half dollars on weapons of destruction, let us get together for the common enemy. And that is to transform the world's energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. Former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper used his time to dismiss the Green New Deal resolution in the House of Representatives that seeks to create jobs by building infrastructure and addressing environmental injustice. Republicans have attacked the Green New Deal as socialism. The bottom line is if we don't clearly define that we are not socialists, the Republicans are going to come at us every way they can and and call us socialists. We can't promise every American a government job. We should note that Hickenlooper, as governor of Colorado, was a big supporter of the fossil fuel industry and helped promote fracking around the state. Other candidates mentioned specific policies. Both former Maryland Congressman John Delaney and Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South Bend, Indiana, called for a carbon tax with a dividend that returns all of the revenue directly to households. Here's Buttigieg. We need aggressive and ambitious measures. It's why we need to do a carbon tax and dividend. But I would propose we do it in a way that is rebated out to the American people in a progressive fashion so that most Americans are made more than whole. Former Vice President Joe Biden called for massive investments in research and development and called for building out an electric vehicle charging network. I would immediately insist that we, in fact, build 500,000 recharging stations throughout the United States of America so that we can go to a full electric vehicle future. Washington State Governor Jay Inslee and Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts both focused on the economic benefits of transitioning away from fossil fuels. Here's Governor Inslee, who has focused his entire presidential campaign on combating climate change. We know that we can put millions of people to work in the clean energy jobs of the future, and then we can do what America 
always does lead the world and invent the future and put people to work. Senator Warren focused on exporting U.S. clean energy technology to the world. There's going to be a worldwide need for green technology, ways to clean up the air, ways to clean up the water. There's a $23 trillion market coming for green products. We should be the leaders and the owners, and we should have that 1.2 million manufacturing jobs here in America. Well, I'll tell you, that sounded... As much not like a Republican debate as pretty much anything I've ever heard. (laughs) Yes, I would agree. Nice to hear them uh, talk about some of these things. They could use a lot more time, however, to talk about their very specific plans that many of them have. Yes, and help the public to understand what they're all talking about. Activist groups have succeeded in pushing the Democratic National Committee to schedule a vote at their next meeting in August about whether they will hold a debate specifically focused on climate change. So that could still happen. Good still. For much more on the debate and all of the stories we couldn't cover because of it, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Baby, if I could change. baby if i could if i could we keep trying working Uh, on it the uh good to hear uh conversation however in a presidential debate about uh, you know those issues and but i should note we also did hear a conversation about climate change back in the 2016 debate as i recall just not in the general we did hear about it in the democratic primaries right so it'll be interesting to see if uh, we're able to keep up the pressure on the corporate media that will be running these debates to continue focusing on climate change not just in the primaries but through the general oh yeah well, i'm sure we'll get some very good responses on that from donald trump in the uh, general they're not going to ask him about it Because he doesn't want to talk about it. And he gets to decide. He's the decider now. All right. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or from your favorite podcast site. That is, of course, thanks to those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We could use your support desperately so uh, feel free to stop on by make a one-time donation or even better sign up for a monthly subscription of any amount you like drop me email if you like i am bradcast at bradblog.com and on the facebooks and the twitters i am simply the brad blog find follow and share me there that is it until we meet again tomorrow i'm brad friedman good luck world Baby.